Rambam says a interesting description of tshuva, which is something which needs to be delved into to be able to to grasp fully what he means. He says, Midarka tshuva. One of the ways of tshuva. That the person who's in the process of doing tshuva has to constantly be crying out to Hashem with tears and supplications. And he has to do, he has to give charity according to his abilities. So the first thing he needs to do is the second is tzedakah tefillah tzedakah and by anticipating the third one we'd have to say that it is tshuva what does he say tshuva is? he says umisrachik min hadara shechotoboi umeshane shmoi kloima shani acher veeni oisa isha osu oisa namaisim he should distance himself from the place where he failed and he should change his name he should change his name that is to say I am someone else I'm not the same person that did those deeds that's interesting that he has to change his name a change of name always implies a change of essence because the name is a description of who the person is and if the change of name is a prerequisite for a completion of the tshuva process it means that a person has to alter his entire internal structure to be something else now that's what the Baalei Musa would frequently say that the point of tshuva is not to be better but to be different to be better you can maintain the same set of values and make marginal improvements but the goal of tshuva is to make an axiomatic change that means that the entire functioning, the internal functioning we're assuming from the Rambam's words, the internal functioning is off. Is off. The Altar of Nevada gives a marshal to it. He describes a person that has a watch. Now, if you have a watch and you're not sure if the watch works, the internal mechanism isn't that reliable, there's always a way out. You can rely on Greenwich Mean Time. So when you look at your watch and you're not sure, is it telling me the right time or not? I've got an objective way of evaluating I look at the watch, Greenwich Mean Time, and I can set my watch accordingly. In other words, if you have an internal structure in the watch, the mechanism is not working out well, you can, always, you can always navigate and reorientate yourself based on an external source. Similarly, if a person has some type of kilkul, some type of misfunction within, and he has someone that he can gauge how to behave according to, so then he can reset his own internal system in accordance with that person. The problem is, is there ever such a person? We can have tzaddikim, we can have people that we can learn from, but there's never another me that I can look at to reset my clock. So ultimately, the only way of keeping the right time or navigating life correctly is fixing up the breakdown in the internal system. And therefore, the ultimate verdict says, the foolish activity that we often engage in is we have a watch 
and our watch isn't working. So we go around asking a number of people that their watches are running to different times rather than ours, and we say, oh, what's the time? So he says, quarter to six, so you change your watch. But then you ask the next person, he says, no, it's quarter past six. And you are forever changing your watch according to people's times, but it's not your time. It's not, it's not faithful. You have to create an internal functioning of the mechanism. I think that's where the Rambam's going with Mishane Shmoi. You have to change your name. You have to redesign the internal functioning. So let's talk a little bit about what that redesign means. How do you redesign it? What, what's going wrong? There are three ways that we interact with the world. Garner information, process it. We see, we hear, and we speak. Now, the default setting of us as human beings, unless we work on it, we see with a particular bias. And when we see around us, essentially we don't see a world, we see a reflection <coughs> of ourselves. And that's all. What I mean is as follows. If I'm walking outside and I look up to the skies and I see clouds, which seems to be a bit of an inevitable situation in London, <laughs> as blue skies are in Israel, in the summer, money back guarantee, rains. So when I look up and I see clouds in the sky, so I don't see clouds, all I see is, oh gosh, I need to take an umbrella. I interpret the external event only in relation to myself. The fact that they are clouds, that they're big and fluffy, and that there's rain coming down, and the, the marvelous miracle of how condensation works and rain, doesn't, all I see is umbrella, no umbrella. Coat, no coat. So I don't see clouds, I see myself. If I'm, walking, if I'm walking down the street and I happen to be a property surveyor, so all I see are to rent, to let signs, all I see is possible. If I'm walking down the street and I'm a car enthusiast, I see car after car, I don't see properties. Based on my internal structure, that's how I see the world. So my ability to see is limited by my internal composition. And therefore, I don't get access to an objective world. I don't ever creep out of myself. What I do is I see myself reflected in a thousand different things around me. When it comes to hearing, it's not much different. When I listen, all I hear is myself. Someone says to me, happened to me recently, unfortunately. Someone said to me, you know, I'm just uh, said to them, where are you going for holidays? They said they're going up to Netanya. You know, we have a flat there. The first thing I heard was not, you're going to have a nice time in Netanya with your holiday flat, but, oh, um, is it vacant during the year? Maybe I'll pop over for a weekend. So I don't hear what the person's saying. I only hear it in relation to myself. So when I pick up another person's conversation, the points which, 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 which are interest of me, which, which speak to me in terms of my own wants and desires, those are the points which stick out, and everything else just gets lost in oblivion. So from seeing and hearing, there's no, there's no escaping from my own internal world. And speaking, this is, this is less common, but it happens as well. We speak in such a way that often the only person that understands what we say is ourselves. Often you'll say, um, husband says to his wife, uh, could I have a drink? And she brings him a cold glass of water. He says, but I wanted tea. He didn't say enough because in his mind, you don't speak for others. You are limited, and this is again more exaggerated and less common. You are limited by your own internal world. So when the Rambam says Mashane Shmoi, the direction he's going in is that a person has to alter the way he sees, hears, and speaks 
about the world because that's where the shinui takes place in our interaction from people and with people and the world around us. So let's examine from a different perspective how that should work. When we speak about seeing, the Torah speaks about a beferish. You shouldn't go after your hearts and you shouldn't go after your eyes. In other words, when a person has eyes, you see in a particular way, and the Torah speaks specifically to how we should see. And Rashi says, The eye sees, and then the heart desires, and the body follows through. The problem is that Rashi's order is different to the Pasuk's. The verse says, don't go after your hearts and your eyes. In sequence, placing a person's heart as the initial stage of the temptation and the eyes seeing as a secondary stage. And Rashi says, Ha'ayin royal. First you see, then you desire. Placing the seeing as the first step and the desiring as the second step. The resolution obviously is that what the Pasuk is describing is the internal mechanism. If you have a desire, that's what you see in the world. And what Rashi is describing is the way it works on the ground. Lemaisa, when I look at something, that awakens the desire, but the desire was there already. So when the Torah says, The Torah is telling me, the way to stop seeing yourself in the world outside of you is to change your lave. You have to change your heart. You have to change the focal point of your experience. Which means as follows, you take two people. One person has got a lathe which is filled, a heart filled of time and desire. Someone else, another, has got a lathe which is filled with chesed. How do they see the world differently? It's quite obvious. person who has, a, let's say, the desire he has is laziness. He walks into a room and the first thing he looks for is, where can I find myself a chair? And he sees the chair which is the most comfortable for him. That's what his eyes see. Another his heart has been purified. His heart is the heart of chesed. He walks into the room and he sees, where can I get that person standing over their chair to sit on? He'll see the room in a very different way. The Torah says, Don't let the lave, the heart, be the koveya, the decider of where your sight goes. Rather, create a different kind of lave, a different kind of heart which is what we're trying to strive for. That's one of the basic components of tshuva, is the redesign of the entire self-structure that your priorities, the experience of your existence, is going in a particular direction, and that will change the way you see. How do you change the way you hear? So this is a... a it's one of the most fascinating descriptions of how the cognitive thinking and the emotive and feeling are fused together and that essentially without a thinking component our feelings become a little bit random and haphazard. In, in Parashas Kisovoi when the Torah describes Bikurim, the mitzvah of Bikurim, you go down, you go down into your field and there's a, a fig which has just grown. And you look at the fig and it's your first fruits. It's one of the seven species of Israel. And you look at the fig and you think, gosh, this is what I'm going to say for Bikurim. So you tie a ribbon around the fig and later on you bring it up to your shenanigans. 
Fantastic. What do you do when you get up to your shnai? Start to discuss an entire history lesson. But the history lesson seems completely absurd. You look at this fig. Now all you've got is a fig. And then you start to retrace the steps of where this fig came from. And you don't go to the fact that this fig grew in my land. Rather you go back, which could have been a thousand years prior to this fig's birth, and you say, Arami Oyved Avi, thousand years ago, I had an ancestor. That ancestor's name was Yaakov. And Yaakov was in a predicament. He was under the influence of a deceitful person called Lavan who wanted to destroy him. But Baruch Hashem, he managed to get out of that. But what happened to him? He had to go down to Mitzrayim, to Egypt. And what happened when he was in Egypt? Things went first exceptionally well. He reproduced and he had a tremendous nation. But then things turned sour. And the Egyptians started to oppress the people. And they started to give them an extremely difficult time. They were enslaved. They were, uh, they were, they were completely uh, discriminated against and abused. And, but then what happened? Then they called out to Hashem. And then the Creator saved them. And what did He do once He saved them? Miracles and signs. And then He brought us to this place which is and he gave us the land and now I have this fruit you look at a fig imagine looking at a fig and in that fig what do you hear from what the fig is saying you don't hear if I would look at the fig I would say hmm, the Torah teaches me an entire cognitive process now there are a few different cognitive processes essentially this one is called um, analysis Analysis means you look at a given process and you try to understand the relationship between the parts in the whole. If you're a mechanic, when you're looking at a car and you see how the carburetor is attached to the engine, if it is, I have no idea. But you look at the different parts of the, of the structure of the engine and by understanding the way each one functions, you can get to an understanding of the totality and each part in its relation to the whole. When you look at a fig, you use an intellectual cognitive ability. You say, but this fig has a context. This fig doesn't arrive on my field. I had to have a field first. How did I get a field? Where is the field located? There's an entire spectrum that you have to take into consideration. So what happens is, you see the, you see the tree, and then you think to yourself, back. You go back, and you retrace. And the reason why I've got a tree is because I ground to plant it. And the reason I have ground is because we have Eretz Israel. But how did we get Eretz Israel? Well, because our forefathers came to Eretz Israel. How did they get you? They came to the midbar. What were they doing in the midbar? And you retrace and you trace and you trace and you trace it all the way back. Until all of a sudden you see in this fig, there's an entire world. And when you see that there's a world in this fig, then you start to say, now I understand the Rebbein Shalom. And then there's a merging between a cognitive process, which is just really doing a research in the context of how this thing came into being, and an emotive process whereby you say, this fig is much more than just one little fruit. It's an entire world. Thank you, thank you, thank you. So now, that's carrying a completely different message. To see, we need to be metaken alev. We have to fix up the internal experience of where we're going, what our priorities, what we're trying to do. We have to work on the middas. To hear, we have to ask. We have to create. Why is this person saying this? Uh, the famous story, it's a cliche of, of the person that goes up to the rov and you ask him, can he fulfill the mitzvah of Abba Kosis, the four glasses of wine on Pesach with milk? 
and the Rav says, you cannot, and here is money for meat and wine. Meat, meat and wine. So the, the, the person says, I can understand why you're giving me money for wine, because I can't fulfill the mitzvah without four glasses of wine. But why do you give me money for me? So he says, well, if you asked, you want to be ate with milk, so then you have no flesh to eat either. It's a simple point, but it, it, it indicates that when a person listens, you have to listen for what's between the lines and what's behind what the person's saying. That's called active listening. And then when you do that, so all of a sudden, a different context evolves. And something which was previously invisible becomes highly visible. So in terms of seeing... You have to fix up the heart. In terms of hearing, you have to ask to get the context, and then you'll hear words that you never knew existed. But in order to do so, you need to take an interest in discovering what's behind the words. And finally, speaking. Now, speaking is a very interesting thing. If you think about it, the power of speech is what, more powerfully than anything else, defines the nature of man. Man, in the words of our sages, is referred to not as a, one would have thought, a chooser, a boicher, but a medaber, a speaker. For some reason, the ability to express our thoughts in words and to communicate is the most fundamental part of human existence. So if you think, it does make, a, um, it make sense, because if you think what, what is unique about the human experience, as opposed to, let's say, animals or the world of Malachi and the spiritual world. So, we have a body which we share with the animal world. We have a soul which we share with the spiritual world. It's a spiritual creation. So therefore we can't say that as a human being my uniqueness <coughs> is the fact that I have a soul because Malachim are spiritual beings. You can't say that my uniqueness is that I have a body because animals have bodies. Where does the uniqueness of human experience come to the fore? In the Kuech Adibur. The Kuech Adibur is when you take the world of the Malachim, the world of the Ruach, of the Spirit, and you're able to express it in concrete terms. So you take it down. It's a Yerida. You bring it down from a far less defined place and you express it in words. You take something which is hidden in the depths of your psyche and you're bringing it out in a, in a form which is completely unique. Malachim don't need to speak because they are of that concept. But when you speak, you're taking something which is from above and you're bringing it down. Similarly, when you speak about your physical needs, you're taking something which is beneath and you're lifting it above. You're using the maizim, day-to-day actions, and you're putting them into the world of words. When you do that, so you've lifted them up. So what the Kreach HaDibur does, the power of speech, is it creates a bridge between the spiritual and the physical, and that's where it functions. At that point in time, where it functions, it has a specific connotation, it has a specific message. The Kreach HaDibur is that which makes us human, because it not only takes down the Machshav, it brings up the Guf, but in the way we speak, there's also... You could say it in a few different ways. For example, the tongue is the only <coughs> limb in the body that works through its movement to create abstractions or bring abstractions into the world. When I move my hands, there's no conceptual, explicit conceptual transfer of information. 
But through the pure movement of my tongue, cutting words, I'm able to take an abstract idea and express it. So it's a limb which has a physical component because the way the abstract comes into being, the spiritual, the beyond, is <coughs> simply through the movement of this organ. And yet, even though it's a physical movement, it gives over a spiritual context, a taste of spirituality. So the tongue is the synergy between <coughs> the physical and spiritual. You could say it another way. You could say that the way, the way we produce sounds and words is through the manipulation of the movements of the tongue, but it's also of the passage of wind over the different vocal cords, which is the ruach and the geshem coming together. Either way, the power of speech is the thing which most potently typifies man. That's where we exist. And if you think about it and you go through your life, you'll see that the majority of your experience of living is through speaking to one another. And that's where our world is. Our world is essentially a world of dibur. Our world that we live in and the world that we conceive of is what we hear from other people, what we say to people. And if that's true, the power to speak in a way that conveys to another is one of the deepest koichas we need to develop. Right, so it's a different kind of dibur because it's not a dibur which is yored into the world. It's a dibur which remains in the, in the olam haruchni. So in other words, I don't know how that speech happens, but I don't think there's sounds. When you spoke to people in Nazca, Marshall. It's a marshal. It's to describe to us. We, we can't really understand the Malach because the Malach, Malach has wings and flies around. Malach is, is it's, it's, it's a Musa. The Malach is something which is beyond the realm of physicality. So you, there's, there's an union of communication, but it's not the Dibur that we have. When, when the Apostle describes the creation of man, it says, that he has created Afar Min Adama Vayipach of Nishmas Chaim So yeah, the Afar Min Adama is the, is the, the dust which is the physical Vayipach of Nishmas Chaim is the spiritual Vila Nefesh Chaim Then he became a living spirit and the Targum says L'Ruch Mamalala So you see Dafka the Dibur is after the two have come together The Dibur is neither in the, in, in the Neshama nor is it in the Guf So it could be the other Diburim, higher Diburim but the Dibur that we know and we experience is a um, is a synergy of the spirit and the body. So now, if that's true, there are two, there are two ways that Dibur works. The one way that Dibur works is it's Megale the Soid. It reveals that which is hidden. That's exactly what happens when I speak. I have something in my mind, no one else knows about it, and through the words I choose to bring that down, I'm able to share that with someone else. There's another goal that Dibur Performs, And that's not only that Dibur creates a way of conveying wisdom from one to another, but it also, in that process, creates a connection between two people. And Dibur is one of the words which is used to describe connection. The Mishnah Ksubis describes the unity between husband and wife as medaberis, speaking. And you think about it, it makes perfect sense. Because... <coughs> An exchange of speech is often a different level of a process of connection and birth. A Navi is called a Navi, a prophet, because the word Nivsvasai means the fruit of the lips. The fruit, the lips produce fruit. Now, in order to have a fruit, you need to plant a seed, and the seed has to grow. 
In any interaction between two people, when words are shared, there are two participants in that process. There is the one speaking and the one receiving the words. That process can be a process of connection which is not only revealing wisdom, but it's a connection which bears fruit. In the very most basic and mundane level, it's when I ask someone to bring me a glass of water, so I've said words, and from those words they're received in the ears of the other, and then he goes out and fetches me a glass of water. So there's been a mashpia, someone influencing, someone receiving, and something being produced from it. It's analogous to giving birth to a child. So the point of Dibur is a point of complete connection. In order to connect to another, the Ramban says a fascinating thing. He says one of the principles that he puts at the, at the top of his list of priorities for Tikkun Amidus, refining ourselves, is you should be medaber benachas l'cha'odam. You have to speak, and he uses the word benachas. Now the word benachas generally is translated perhaps as softly, but the actual word itself means to come to rest. In Hebrew, to a plane which lands is called a nechita. So when I speak, even though it's translated softly, that's not the point. The point is that my words can rest in the other person's ears. In other words, that when I speak, I understand who's on the other side, who's receiving the words I have to say. When I do that, I'm able to again escape through myself and create a unity between me and another. And that unity can produce fruits. That's one of the things someone asked me yesterday and they said, I don't understand, Rabbi. Why is it wrong to speak Lashon Hara? Aren't we a religion which values the truth? We, 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 we people that, we want to see what's... So it's very simple. That speaking Lashon Hara is you, it's true that you're taking a truth, but let's look at it in terms of what Dibur does. Dibur is when I take something and I plant it inside of you and it produces something else. Now, if I take something which is good, an idea, a thought of, 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 of a concept in Torah, so when I say those words and I plot inside of you, and then you behave in accordance, we brought something, we produce fruits in the world, which are incredible fruits. When I say a word which is negative, and I plant it inside of you, and it creates, it creates jealousy, and it creates hatred, so what have we done? Granted it's true, but the point is not to be true, the point is to create paris to over, it's good fruits. So... When we're thinking about what the Rambam says, Meshane Shmo, you have to change your name, it means you have to change your internal functioning. You have to see differently, you have to hear differently, and you have to speak differently. You see differently through the Tikkun Halev. You hear differently through the Tikkun Hamachshava, to think into, to ask questions. And you speak differently with the Tikkun Hadibur, understanding how your words are able to give meaning to the person that you're speaking to. Now, obviously, what we've discussed today are the principles of where we're trying to head to. <coughs> the practicalities are numerous. But just perhaps one word of practical suggestion of how could we implement this, this process of tshuva. So, in terms of seeing, it's a suggestion, but I'm... I've tried experimenting with it and sometimes it, it, does, it does work. Just to be conscious of the fact that when you're looking around, ask yourself a simple question. Say, what kind of eyes am I looking with? Are there eyes of chesed? Are there eyes of chokhmah? Are there eyes of trying to pursue the rots and Hashem? Or are there eyes of taiva, of gaivan, of covet? In terms of hearing, ask yourself a simple question. 
what, why, what is he saying, what is behind, when you, someone speaking to you, what is behind, what is he really saying? These are the words, what is the meaning? These are the words, what is the meaning? And in terms of dibur, don't say and don't ask, but keep a careful eye and a careful ear to gauge <coughs> from the other how to rest your dibur, how to cause your words to land inside of him. And um, hopefully the Rebbein Shalom should give us the to fix up all those areas of self and to come to Chivashlema.